Today's episode is the final show of season one of Movement. We'd like to thank all the people who have contributed to the show as a guest or anonymously in the streets of London over the past few months. Today, we're talking about a mobility programme called Livable Neighbourhoods. Originally named Mini Hollands, the project was created under Boris Johnson's tenure to boost active mobility in outer London. Mini Hollands launched in 2012 as a competition for boroughs to win a grant in order to boost cycling and walking with ideas taken from the Dutch approach to urban design. Three outer London boroughs were awarded 30 million each to transform their town centres and high streets into more livable places. We talked to transport expert and sociology professor Rachel Aldred, who has been studying the impact of the Mini Hollands programme in one of the three winning boroughs, Waltham Forest. I'm Dr Rachel Aldred and I'm a reader in transport at the University of Westminster and my research specialises in active travel, cycling and walking. What do you do day to day? I'm involved in a range of different projects. I work on, for instance, the Propensity to Cycle tool, which looks at um, cycling potential across the country and maps it to the road network. I do quite a lot of work on injuries and near misses for cycling and for walking. Um, and I look at the impact of um, interventions as well to increase active travel. I also teach transport planning, so I teach um, master's students who are often people, early career people in Transport for London, boroughs, consultancies and so on. So it's really uh, interesting to get that day-to-day interaction with people working in the sector and what they think as well. At Beryl, we've been following London's Mini Holland programme. We believe now it's been rebranded Livable Neighbourhoods. Can you tell our listeners what it entails, please? So the original Mini Hollands programme um, was developed under the last mayor and to some extent it's been rebranded, but the original um, three Mini Holland boroughs are Kingston, Waltham Forest and Enfield and those interventions are ongoing um, for the next few years, basically, so that's still happening. We're also seeing a new wave of livable neighbourhood schemes starting. But um, the, the original Mini Holland schemes, one of the rationale, the rationale behind it was partly around the fact that um, London has seen an increase in cycling. Some central London streets will, at peak time will see very heavy levels of cycling, often half or more of all vehicles. However, um, that progress is concentrated it's demographically skewed and it's concentrated in central London and some inner boroughs so outer London um, it was felt was being left behind and I think there's an equity issue around this because often people in outer London have poor access to public transport um, they have so they have fewer uh, travel alternatives so the idea was to increase cycling levels in some of those boroughs which is more of a challenge as well this is not Hackney this is not Camden these um, boroughs are often more car dependent than um, central inner London. So it was also, the programme was also rebranded and expanded to also focus on walking, particularly with the current Mayor's Healthy Streets agenda. So the idea is to increase um, walking and cycling in those boroughs. Waltham Forest is the mini Holland borough where the interventions are most advanced. And it's kind of two basic things that they're doing in Waltham Forest and one of them is to create these low traffic neighbourhoods which I think will also be a focus of livable neighbourhood schemes as well going forward. So the idea is that neighbourhoods, many neighbourhoods in London are used as shortcuts by drivers trying to avoid congestion on A roads and this results in a lot of kind of quite small streets um, neighbourhood streets becoming hostile for walking and cycling, thousands of motor vehicles a day, often uh, drivers not behaving terribly well because they're, they're, it's not 
their street. It's, they're just cutting through, trying to get somewhere else. So a big focus in Walton Forest is trying to make those neighbourhoods quiet again so that really the only motor vehicles you, you should see are going to those homes they're delivering or their people driving to and from their homes. And this can result in quite a dramatic change when those streets actually go from having two, three, four, five thousand motor vehicles a day to being really quiet to having maybe a few hundred even. So that's been one part of this, the, the interventions. And the other main part, there's other things too, like um, cycle hire, cycle hubs and so on, but the other big infrastructural intervention is around cycle tracks. And you can see that in all the mini Holland uh, boroughs, that they're developing separated, dedicated space for cycling on main roads, because we know that one of the um, big barriers to cycling is that people don't feel safe, they don't feel comfortable mixing with motorised traffic. So on those busy roads, which are going to keep carrying um, large numbers of motor traffic, uh, motor vehicles, the idea is to separate cyclists so people have their own space, they're not mixing with um, cars, they're not mixing with pedestrians, but they have cycle tracks where they can feel safe. What involvement has the University of Westminster had, if any? We've been leading the People and Places survey, which has been looking at travel behaviour and attitudes in outer London over time. It's a longitudinal survey, so it goes back to the same people. And an important part of this survey is to look at the impacts of some of these um, these mini-Holland interventions. So because we're tracking people over time, year on year, we can compare changes among people living close to these interventions with changes um, among people living further away. So uh, which is quite important because travel behaviour fluctuates year on year, it's affected by the weather and so on. So the fact that we've got a control group, we can look at people um, who are not living close to these interventions means we can really see what difference um, some of these changes make. So yeah, this study is ongoing. We started in 2016 and we're going to continue for at least another year, maybe another three years to, to keep following up because the programme is ongoing. One of the claimed main objections to the Mini Holland project was that it would benefit cycling at the expense of other modes of transport. However, your research found that the programme is actually getting more people walking as well as cycling compared to people living in non-Millie Holland boroughs. That's amazing. Can you give any more evidence of the positive impact of the Mini Holland schemes in the neighbourhoods they've been implemented in? Yes, I mean, we um, we were... To be honest, quite surprised to find a measurable change in travel behaviour at year one. And having just looked at the results um, in year two, which are still being analysed, that um, change is being sustained. So we're seeing an uplift in walking um, and an in increase in cycling, so an overall increase in active travel. And the year one findings, this was split in terms of an extra 32 minutes a week walking and an extra nine minutes cycling. So I thought that was quite interesting. I mean, this is driven by the changes in Walton Forest, which was where most of the interventions had happened. And it seems to me that, um, in particular, perhaps the early low traffic neighbourhood type schemes, I think have quite a substantial impact on walking. And I think that's probably where our early impact came from. The fact that people um, felt happier to walk around their local neighbourhoods, knowing that there weren't going to be speeding drivers cutting through. Um, they felt happier to walk there with their children and so on. Um, the uplift in cycling um, is less strong, but in a sense that's maybe not surprising because cycling, people tend to make further, their journeys tend to be further, they need infrastructure, they need good conditions along their whole route. So local neighbourhood changes um, maybe don't have as big an impact immediately on cycling as they do on walking. But yes, it was very positive to see that change in relation to walking and to see that people were walking more. I think there's a lot of potential in London for cycling to grow, particularly among people who don't currently cycle. But I think sometimes 
we underestimate the potential for more walking. Often among people who already walk, because most Londoners um, do do at least some walking, but there's a lot of walking that people could do in their local neighbourhoods, perhaps, in addition. And that has multiple benefits. You know, if you have more people walking about on the street, you have more children playing on the street, it creates the kind of places where people want to live, friendlier places, um, places with a greater sense of community. Could Mini Holland come to central neighbourhoods in London or to cities in the UK and elsewhere, do you think? I think that the key interventions that I've mentioned, um, supported by other things um, around promotion, behaviour change, cycle hire and so on, are transferable. The reducing um, motor traffic in local neighbourhoods is something that is very transferable and also cycle tracks on main roads. So these these things are... Um, for me, key parts in creating more walking and cycling friendly places. And I don't, I, I don't think there's any reason why they can't be transferred. And I think in thinking about the UK as a whole as well, uh, I think it's really important that the Mini Holland schemes are showing an uplift in outer London because often people from other parts of the UK, towns and cities in other parts of the UK, might look at what's happening in London and say, well, you know, but our... our um, city isn't like Camden or like Hackney or like Islington you know we don't have that low level of car ownership we don't ha- you know we have a lot more car dependency and if you look at outer London you'll see some of the travel behavior patterns are more similar to other metropolitan parts of the UK so the fact that you can see change is possible here it's not just for inner London it's also for outer London is I think encouraging in the fact that those interventions can make a big difference and in some regards you could see that think that some of this stuff might actually be easier in um, small cities and in towns because actually often the journey distances in those places are shorter, you have fewer roads that you need to treat and so on. Um, so I think there's, there's great potential across the country for more cycling and more walking. Rachel, what do you think the future holds for pedestrians and cyclists in our capital and in other cities around the world? There's some very positive signs. Um, some major cities, the, um, for instance, the um, transformation of the banks of the Seine in Paris. Um, the, we're seeing um, we're seeing ambition from cities, and I'm hoping that we're getting towards a positive dynamic where cities compete with each other to be more walking and cycling friendly. After many decades, when um, cities sort of saw competing with each other in being car friendly, actually the car and the city are, are not a natural match. You can have um, a good city um, or you can have a place that is very car focused and provides well for the car but increasingly I think city leaders understand you really can't have the two together and that when we think about for instance the health impacts of having everybody traveling in a sedentary manner of having the the levels of air and noise pollution that we see um, of having the low levels of physical activity that many people have in our cities there's really good reasons for a shift away from the car so I'm, I'm, I'm quite positive about it there's a lot of political challenges in many ways the political challenges are bigger than the funding challenges because some of those schemes in Waltham Forest um, where you're reducing traffic from neighbourhoods okay you can spend a lot of money on public realm and it's good to do that it, it, it helps but putting bollards and planters in a street is actually very cheap so some of these things you can also even do temporary measures to create cycle tracks and in some parts of the US they've done that kind of thing you put planters in you put in the heavy infrastructure later when you've proved it works so I don't think funding should be an insuperable barrier I think the barrier is often the political buy-in the will to make a change but another positive thing is the fact that we're seeing 
um, an attitudinal shift, a behavioural shift among many young people and the fact that young men in particular are not driving as much, are choosing to delay getting their driving licences, you can see that people um, actually do want to do things differently and I think political leaders have to have courage to recognise that and to, you know, to, to um, stick to stick to their principles and to put forward these kind of schemes. If you had an unlimited budget, what would you implement personally to improve cycling in our cities? As, as I've just been saying, I mean, the budget is not the only thing. The important thing is actually being able to implement um, implement these measures. I mean, I would um, it would allow um, the things you put in. Having an unlimited budget or having a large budget means that the things you put in can be better. Um, that, for instance, when you're doing these low traffic neighbourhoods, you can put in planting, you can put in some nice pocket parks, you can put in um, little street playgrounds and so on. So you can make everything look and feel really nice, um, which is a bonus. You can also implement um, really high quality cycle tracks. And high quality cycle tracks, you can do them on a temporary basis, you can keep costs down, but to do them really nicely, it's good to have a big budget, to have that kind of um, engineering input. I mean, I think some of the things that we need to think about, as, as I was saying, are not necessarily um, around funding. They're around a change in priorities. Um, they might actually bring in funding. So um, things like um, road, road pricing systems, which, you know, London is well due in it overhaul of our um, congestion charge if things like workplace parking levies um, disincentives to drive uh, i think are also important but they're often difficult you have to do them alongside doing things that make walking cycling and public transport easier more convenient and cheaper um, so yeah you have to do the two together along with waltham forest and kingston enfield in north london was also selected for the mini hollands program Enfield's Mini Holland scheme is now known as Cycle Enfield. It's aimed to create a better Enfield, see hashtag better Enfield on social media, for everyone. We talked to Sarah Carey from Enfield Council to hear about what the programme is achieving for its citizens, her learnings as well as the future of urban mobility. Hi Sarah, thanks for coming to meet me today. Could you introduce yourself please? Morning, my name is Sarah Carey. I'm the Executive Director for PLACE in Infield Council in North London. And what that actually means is I look after anything to do with the built environment, from bins to buildings, uh, for about 33,000 people who live in North London. Can you tell us what you do day to day to um, help cycling in Enfield specifically and North London please? My department has done a huge amount over the past couple of years to invest in something called Cycle Infield, which is a £40 million programme to improve cycling safety across the borough with, by building segregated cycle lanes. So we're building, that's everything from like major roads, building segregated lanes to quiet ways in the back with the idea is that a seven-year-old can get around the borough and enjoy it, get to school, get to work, go hang out with his mates and be safe while doing it. Can you talk a little bit about this scheme that we've heard of, uh, Little Holland, and what that has meant for, for Enfield and, and the future of Enfield cycling please. So Little Holland or Mini Holland um, is was actually a, a GLA, so the London government's like funding programme to invest in cycling infrastructure in outer London. And the idea is that it's about calming roads um, at, like they do in Holland so that everyone goes slower and therefore cyclists feel safer and it encourages more people to cycle. And uh, Waltham Foe has used the Mini Holland funding to do a huge amount of work in, um, in, that, in Walthamstow, the Walthamstow government, 
And in Enfield, we have used our money to build these segregated cycle lanes across the borough um, to enable all ages to cycle. Sarah, could you go into a bit more detail, please, about the type of cycle lanes that are being built and proposed in Enfield, please? Yeah, so actually it is a big mix. Um, Enfield's kind of blessed. Some of our major roads in North London were built quite wide in the 1920s and 30s and they've got existing, although like not in the best condition, cycle lanes up and down them. But these are really major roads like the A10 um, and Willoughby Lane over in the east. And what we're trying to do is on more high street kind of roads bring in proper segregated things. So these are fairly busy Roads like the Hertford Road that goes through Ponders End and, and would eventually, if you followed it south, bring you into Ed- Edmonton. Um, and so, we're, so they're busy, high street type roads that people use every day. We're also building a bunch of what we call crossways, which are a bit more like quietways, which connect across the borough rather than just north and south. And those tend to be, they're very well signed, they're on quieter roads, um, even sometimes along the edge of a park, they feel like quiet ways do in central London. Do you have anything to say about the inevitable scrutiny and uh, resistance that putting money, time and energy into cycle lanes sometimes receives? First of all, cities are always contested. Cycling lanes, new buildings, park designs, everything. Like these, you know, people, this is people's lives, it's the way they live. And people have not only, you know, like a, a kind of right to be interested in what's going on, but a kind of... I can understand the emotional connection for a lot of people. I also think cities evolve more than people remember and listen to. So, um, you know, we're in Spitalfield today, and if you go back, if you wind the clock back, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years, this was a, a warehousing district that was pretty much vacant and derelict on the evenings and weekends, and it, is, it has radically changed. And some people around here like that, some people don't, but I think the broader perspective in London would say that you know, Spitalfield is a really amazing place to be right now. So we, of course, in Enfield have had opposition and concerns and scrutiny about uh, cycle Enfield. I think any of that's become very political. So in the last election, um, the local conservative politicians really ran on a campaign that we were wasting money on cycle Enfield. Um, you know, we are following one. We're following the kind of mayoral support and funding for this. So we're not spending your council tax like our residents' council tax on this. We're, we're spending um, sort of GLA grant money on the on making city cycling infrastructure better. But um, one of the things I think we would do differently is probably not call it cycle infield because the benefits um, for in sort of narrowing roads, slowing vehicular speeds down and providing cyclist safety are also huge for pedestrians. And in many cases, we've invested money that actually helps improve public transportation. So access to bus stops and sort of entrances to train stations and, and these sorts of things. So. I feel like we probably learned a lesson about we should have found some other name than Cycle Infield because it is really about all kinds of movement that's not in the private car. What does the future hold for Cycle Enfield? And bearing in mind that in your in your eyes it would have a different name, but for now it's called Cycle Enfield. So what would the future hold? Um, so we're, we're still in the middle of building uh, 40 kilometres of segregated cycle lanes. We've, we've built about two thirds, so we've got the last sort of bit to go, and that's causing, at the moment, fairly big congestion and disruption up in Edmonton, but we're going to get through that pretty quickly. Um, the real big next thing is to get people out on their bikes and using it. They are, you know, you, you build them and they will come, but you need to do a lot of nudging. And I've already seen personally in the stats show um, an increase in, in cyclists and cycling, both things in and in field and in some areas improvements in pedestrian flow but we need to continue to do a lot of uh, things like uh, school days out with kids to get them used to cycling uh, we do huge amounts of bike doctor and kind of bike jumbles and bike resales because not everyone can go out and buy a new bike 
um, at Halfords or whatever. So we're trying to do a bunch of social engagement to not just the physical infrastructure to um, enable people to feel really comfortable using the streets and the cycle lanes that we've built. Do you have um, an idea, Sarah, for the perfect project to make cycling safer and or easier in cities? It can be something that's currently happening today in Enfield or London. It can be something that's happening in the rest of the world or it can be something that um, just comes to mind when you think about what would be the ideal situation. I'll do a short perfect and a long-term perfect and I think in the short term I feel really passionately that the biggest thing that would make a difference to cyclist safety is improving vision in cars and I'm really pleased with all the work that London government has done to introduce new vision standards for lorries and for buses because they, if, you can, if you're driving a very large, very heavy vehicle and you actually can't see who's around you, that's just inherently dangerous and I just feel like that's an easy thing that the government's already working on and I'm really pleased about. Um, I think in the longer term, I've got a bit more of a vision about um, lots more electric, not just cycling, but different kinds of vehicles. So like smaller electric, like sort of paddle assist, like kind of vans. And I just feel like there's, or carts. I don't, I, I feel like I'm kind of going on a limb here, but there is, um, I feel like there's got to be a, a breakdown in vehicles from just having like an enclosed um, combustion fire or it's kind of, car or van or lorry and then cycling and I think there probably will be a big pl- sort of spectrum of different kind of vehicles out on the road um, I think that will be really like fascinating to see and quite fun to enjoy um, but I think it will help make roads safer for everyone yeah that's going to improve the air quality for everyone isn't it and, and if you think about things like cargo bikes and electric bikes there's no reason why those two can't be sandwiched together is there anything else you want to you want to say Sarah or discuss one of the best ideas I've seen in that space is actually a trial in Paris where they've got basically small white vans which are enclosed in like a kind of, so they're kind of weather safe and you can transport products in them without getting rain and snow on them. But they are um, pedal assist electric bikes basically. Um, so it's this kind of medium sized thing as a way of doing last mile deliveries in cities. And I think there's, you know, I'm really, I love it when I pull up next to a, a DHL um, sort of electric cargo bike. I just feel like we need more of that in London. This episode was recorded in London in 2018. The music was by Jazar. Hear more about the team at Beryl and our mission to get more people in cities on bikes at beryl.cc and say hi on social media at WeAreBeryl. Thanks for listening and until next time, I was your host, Thomas Slater. <laughs>